Good morning. Our scripture reading today begins in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And the reading continues. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Right then, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowds. When he sent them away, he went up onto the mountain by himself to pray. Evening came, and he was alone. Meanwhile, the boat, fighting a strong headwind, was being battered by the waves and was already far away from land. Very early in the morning, he came to his disciples, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! They were so frightened, and they screamed. Just then, Jesus spoke to them, Be encouraged! It's me! Don't be afraid! Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, order me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. Then Peter got out of the boat and was walking on the water toward Jesus. But when Peter saw the strong wind, he became frightened. As he began to sink, he shouted, Lord, rescue me. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him, saying, You man of weak faith, why did you begin to have doubts? When they got into the boat, the wind settled down. Then those in the boat worshipped Jesus and said, You must be God's Son. This is the word of God for the people of God. Be to God. Good morning, church. Welcome to this time of worship. My name is Rob Lau. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're a first-time visitor here at Ebenezer Church this morning, I want you to know we built a brand new sanctuary. We're going to be in it next week. We hope you come and join us for that. It's going to be a great time. Uh, now, here's the thing that I need you to know about Peter. Uh, he, he wasn't a little dude, right? At least, I'm pretty sure he wasn't, because people called him Rocky. That's what Peter means, is rock. And you don't call somebody Rocky because they are diminutive of stature, right? Peter's a big dude. He, by all accounts in Scripture, he was a loudmouth. Uh, he reminds me of somebody I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Peter was also a, a fisherman, a salty old fisherman. He'd been on the sea a long time. And, um, and he'd been on the sea long enough to know that when, when the wind started to blow and the waves picked up, you needed to get to shore. Because he'd, he'd seen the capsized boats. No doubt he'd borne witness to bloated bodies that come up after the storm. And Peter knew that he was a big man, but it was a much bigger sea, and a rock like Peter could sink in an instant. So when that wave started, when those waves started to grow, and the wind started to blow, Peter's looking for any out he can find, and he sees Jesus walking towards him on the water. And some people think that Peter asking Jesus, "Can I come to you on the water?" was an exercise in faith. Um, Jesus, I'd like to propose an experiment to test my faith. No, I don't think that's how that worked, right? I think what happened was. Peter had seen what could go wrong on a boat in the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the storm, and he wanted to do anything he possibly could to get out of that boat alive. So he said, can I run to you? And Jesus said, yes, you can. And so Peter takes that first step, and that second step, and he can't believe what's happening. And then he takes that third step and that fourth step, and he really can't believe what's happening. And he starts to sink. I, I want to show you this picture. I, I love this image. 
I love it because my favorite part of the story with Peter isn't when he boldly steps out of the boat. My favorite part of the story with Peter is when Peter gets in over his head and the rock realizes he can't save himself. He screams out, Save me! And that's what he saw. Now, the reason I tell you that story today is because I think that's what mourning looks like. In those moments in my life when I have lost people that mattered to me, or those moments in my life when I have deeply grieved over the mistakes of my past, I've felt like that. You know, you can't catch a breath. The, the environment around you is so dynamic, you can't make sense of it. It's a terrifying place to find yourself covered up by the waves. Jesus said that this is a blessed state of being. He said, blessed are those who mourn. Last week, last week we talked about uh, what it looks like to be poor in spirit. The first beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit. There's the kingdom of heaven. And what we understood was that being poor in spirit means that We recognize the poverty of our own soul. We know we can't fix ourselves. And our need for God's grace is great. And we all stand in need of that grace. So what comes next? What comes after we understand that our souls are impoverished? The next step is we mourn the impoverished nature of our souls. See, one of the things I don't know if most people understand about the Beatitudes is Jesus doesn't begin the most important sermon in the history of the world with just a series of of cool statements. They're not just individual statements of blessing or wisdom. The Beatitudes are the process by which we go from being what we have been to what God dreamed we could be. And it starts by being poor in spirit, by recognizing we can't fix ourselves And once we recognize that poverty of spirit, the next step is mourning. That's why the second beatitude follows the first, or at least it should. It doesn't always. Because we don't like feeling like this. We don't like feeling breathless and unsure. We don't like feeling dependent like we do with God's grace. when When we have to recognize that we're utterly dependent on God's grace. Uh, the, the, the best example I can come up with with knowing we need help knowing that we've been wrong and not asking for it is, is just uh, my wife and I will sometimes have disagreements yeah let's call them disagreements <laughs> And, and here's what I know. I know that I win more of those disagreements than I should win. And it's not because I am right more often. It's also not because I'm smarter than her. Dr. Lau is much more intelligent than everyone. The reason, the reason I tend to win these disagreements is because Rob's better at arguing than Andy is. I've had a lot of practice. 
And I don't just mean I walk around and argue with people all the time. Literally, I stand in front of you guys, a thousand people argue every week. And I, I basically make an argument, right? Start with the premise, bring in some scriptures, and try to bring in some logic, and then get us to a certain place together. I argue. Sometimes I use those skills to win. When I shouldn't win. I guess that probably most of us have had times in our lives when we know we could be wrong, but rather than change our understanding or our position, we dig in and fight. To know we are wrong and pretend to be right, there's a word for that. Pride. But here's the thing. The thing about mourning... True mourning leaves no room for pride. True mourning creates true humility. And that's where God does God's finest work. Pride leads to fighting. Humility leads to reconciliation. And in case you haven't seen it coming, this is the moment of transition. This is the moment when this sermon goes from being about your life or my life to being about the call of God on the church to be the change the world needs desperately. Because the thing is, we don't just mourn the people that we have loved and lost. We don't simply mourn our own past mistakes. We also are united in mourning for a society that does not look the way we want it to look. Some in this room mourn because the world looks nothing like it did 50 years ago. Some in this room mourn because the world looks too much like it did 50 years ago. But we are united today... In our grief, a shared sense of mourning. Last week we found commonality in our poverty, that we don't have it all together. Today, today we find connection in our grief. From a societal perspective, we all mourn because our communities and our country and our world is not what it could be. And we have a choice. We can respond with pride. I know I'm right. And simply ratchet up the discord. Or we can choose a path of humility, which leads to healing. When Peter fell through the waves, in that moment there was no room for pride. And when we find our lives and our world in crisis, There's no room for pride in us either. Like Peter beneath the waves, the blessedness of our mourning is that it brings us to one absolutely clear conclusion. We desperately need together the help of Christ. So, today, we find ourselves in an auxiliary worship space and so we are going to, we've decided that we're going to try, try and take these lemons and make them into lemonade. And, and here's how we're going to do that. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you a question. And uh, I'm going to then respond to that question. Then I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to write down some of your own thoughts. And on your tables, there are some note cards... 
Let me just hold these up for a second. There are just some note cards. If you'd like to make some, some notes, some, jot down some thoughts about the question, you're welcome to do so. So I'm going to put the question on the screen. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to respond to it. Then I'm going to give you 30 seconds to, do the, to think about your answer. Then what we're going to do is we're going to put up eight one-minute timers. We're seated around eight top tables. And so everybody's going to get one minute to respond and share with your table your response to the question. So here we go. The question is, what issue facing our society today makes you feel most vulnerable or afraid? You know what's interesting to me about this question? I can't answer this question from a position of pride. I can't stand up and very, proud, very pridefully say, you know what scares me? That's not really going to work. It, it requires a degree of humility for us to be vulnerable and share our fears with one another. What issue facing our society makes us feel most vulnerable or afraid, and why? If I were to answer this question, I would say this. I would say the thing that scares me is not any technical issue we face in terms of policy in our world today. I believe we could make a difference. We could figure that stuff out. What scares me is that rather than people having conversations today, what I see modeled for us in our society is that we objectify one another. We... We, we take somebody in a position that they hold and we make a straw man out of that and we beat it to death. And the, the reason that it scares me is not only because it keeps us from finding real answers to real problems in the world, but the, the other reason it scares me is because I've got a six-year-old son and a three-year-old daughter. And I don't want my kids to think that the appropriate way to respond to someone who brings in a new idea is to shout at them until they're quiet. I want them to recognize what we recognize as Christians, that God's table is a big, big table, and all the world's invited to that table, and everybody brings something to that table that's of worth. I want my kids to know that. I want them to be able to have conversations with one another. I want them to be able to have conversations with people who disagree with them and try and learn from that person, not simply report what they already know. That's the thing that scares me. And, and I'm curious to know what would scare you, too. What is it makes you feel most vulnerable or afraid? What issue facing our society makes you feel most vulnerable or afraid or why? I want to invite you to take about 30 seconds, just jot down a couple of notes if you would like to, or think about how you would respond to this question. All right, great. So the next thing we're going to do is I'm going to leave the question on the screen, and there's going to be a one-minute timer. I'm going to invite you to turn around to your tables, and, and each person respond with one, uh, has one minute to respond to the question. Now, uh, because some of you will have your backs turned to the screen, I'm going to give you a three-second countdown at the end of every minute. Three, two, one, next person. Okay? So everybody gets one minute to respond to the question, uh, and your time starts now. Three, two, one. All right, great job, everybody. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Um, you know, one of the things that I love about questions like these are that they help us to recognize our own limitations. So let's somebody in the room said that one of the things they were uh, concerned about in our society was school violence, right? One, one of the things that scares me about school violence is I can't stop it, right? I don't have, there's limitation to my power. I can't fix that big of a problem. I certainly can't fix it alone. Last week we talked about the fact that none of us are perfect because of our mistakes and our limitations and our failures. Our spirits can feel impoverished. And that poverty unites us. It brings us together. Today we discuss that humility comes from mourning. And that specifically all of us mourn the state of a society that doesn't look like it should. So here's what we've learned together. None of us are perfect. 
but all of us long for the world to be better. None of us are perfect, but all of us long for the world to be better. I wonder if the church of Jesus Christ, I wonder if we could admit that to one another. I don't have all the answers, and and neither do you, but I trust that together we want this world to look a little more like God dreamed it could look. My sense is, that's a pretty good place to start being the change. And I recognize there's an elephant in the room, there's a problem. Uh, We often disagree on what it means for the world to look better, right? Uh, Some think we should have more government, some think we should have less government. Some people think we should have more taxes. I've never met one of those people, but I trust that they're out there. Here's the good news. If we could come together and have conversations, the, the challenges that we talked about just a moment ago, those are technical challenges, and we could fix them. Except, so often we've stopped talking and started shouting. We've stopped listening to one another. I think the church of Jesus Christ can change that, and here's why. Because we are a people who are defined by the fact that we recognize none of us are perfect. But all of us want the world to be a better place. So, in a moment, not yet, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to open an envelope that's on your table. And when you open that envelope, you are going to find uh, identical documents for everybody around your table. Um, The documents highlight some often disagreed about areas in our culture. And I'd like to make an invitation. Over the course of the next few weeks in worship, we're going to be talking about how we can inspire conversations. How we can have conversations with people whose opinions are diverse from our own. Sometimes severely. How can we have those conversations together? And then after the next couple of weeks in worship, we're actually going to host an event outside of worship in which we're going to put people who disagree on issues together at the same table and invite them to have a conversation. What? Yes! Here's the thing. If the church of Jesus Christ can't do it, there is no hope for this world. I believe we can do it. The goal of this exercise is not to change anyone's mind about anything except to help us see that our differences of policy are small when compared with the unity we find in Jesus Christ. So if you're willing to try this with me in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to fill out your form, put your contact information on it, Circle what side of issues you come down on. If there's something you feel really passionate about, put a star next to that one. And if you'd be willing to take part in this little social experiment, as you leave today, there are little blue signs next to our exit doors with baskets next to them. As you depart, if you'd be willing to participate in our little social experiment, drop your forms in those baskets. Two things I want to say. One, the information you provide to us is going to be kept close to the vest. We're only using it for this exercise, and then we're going to toss it. Uh, And two, if you don't want to participate in that, great. That's fine. Uh, Just don't fill out the form. It's no, no, no problem. None of us are perfect. Nobody in this room has all the answers, but we want the world to be a better place. Jesus said it this way, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Some of us mourn the loss of loved ones. Some of us mourn our past mistakes. 
All of us mourn that the world is not yet what God always dreamed it could be. And that mourning creates humility. What if we started here? I don't have all the answers, and neither do you. But we long for the world to be a better place. I believe the church of Jesus Christ can be the change that God longs to see on the earth. And can I, can I just be really vulnerable to you for a second? Here we go. Ready? My dream about this sermon series is that it won't be a sermon series. My dream about this sermon series is that it will ignite revolution in our society. I'm naive enough to dream and to honestly believe that the church of Jesus Christ can be the change our world needs so desperately. Amen? And so I'm grateful to you for for being here and and being a little bit outside of our comfort zones this morning. God bless you for being part of what we've done so far. I hope you'll prayerfully consider being with us in the next step of this experiment.